On today's episode, we take a trip through the history of a controversial hallucinogen, from touted psychiatric miracle to a vilified drug of the counterculture, acid has changed the perception of an entire generation. There's a rare isotope of hydrogen that gets us into heavy water. Loves a chemical reaction in the brain So let me be your Bunsen burner Let me be your naked flame burn, baby, burn. Let me be your Bunsen burner burn, baby, burn. Let me be your naked flame Welcome to Light Your Bunsen Burner, the science history podcast that lights up your mind. I'm Mariela Rosas, and joining me as always is the inspiration for Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds. That's right, Julian Lennon. Move out of the way. I am the fifth beetle, Mr. Jonah Baker. <laughs> the most important beetle. Yeah. He did it before John Lennon. I did. I want to thank everyone for joining us today. We are going to take a little trip together. Ooh, you know. my favorite kind of trip. Mm-hmm. Through the history of a very colorful drug. I'm sure we all have heard of LSD, which is lysergic acid diethylamide, at one point or another in our life. Whether we've used it or not, that's, you know, you don't have to say. Yeah. We <laughs> usually refer to it as acid. 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 <laughs> we need some sitar music. I know, huh? <laughs> <laughs> so... <laughs> Oh, you know, whether you heard of it through some sort of like dare style lecture where they're trying to care, scare you straight, saying that, you know, you're going to think you're an orange or something. Propaganda that has failed mm-hmm. miserably. Oh, yes. Not we're a in, dare. Yeah, we're in the middle of prohibition. I dare you to do again. more drugs. <laughs> you know what? Ultimately, what it did is just make kids curious. I'm yeah. Like, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it was great. Although I'm still like, terrified of like heroin. Like, I'm not going to get too uh, political right here, but um, I really, like, uh, Reagan did some really cool things and some really dumb things, and mm-hmm. the war on drugs was one of the really dumbest things ever. Um, I, well, Nixon kind of started that, Nixon though, too. Did, yeah. yeah. Um, but, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Drugs are cool. I drugs mean, are cool. No, I mean, they're, no, they're not. I mean, well. Drugs, drugs are... are. Great in moderation. Sure. Yeah. Okay. There we go. We'll go with that. <laughs> Everything is good in moderation. <laughs> Why not? Yeah. <laughs> You know, whether you heard about LSE through D.A.R.E. or from, like, you know, a song, like, you know, it's believed that Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds is about dropping acid. Was it? That's, like, what people think. I heard it wasn't. What is it about, then? I heard it was a drawing. Well, yeah, like, his kid. Like, yeah. like that's what, like, the, the actual story is, yeah. right? But, like, <laughs> the, the, like, myth is, like, oh, it's because oh, of yeah. acid. Yeah, but he didn't know it was about acid until after. He didn't know until everyone else made it about exactly. acid. Exactly. <laughs> so did they do it before John Lennon? Totally. All right. Yeah. LSD came before John Lennon. Oh, I can't wait to hear about that. <laughs> Actually, or when was John Lennon born? John Lennon has just always been. Okay, that's true. Mm-hmm. Always has been, still is, will always be. He's the alpha and the omega. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so I worship him, his music, and the drugs he did. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but not Yoko. People hate on Yoko too much. They should. What? It wasn't, it wasn't her fault. Oh, I'm not talking about that. Oh, okay. 
Anyway, wow. we have LSD to talk about. Yeah, we're, we're, we got something better guess, than Yoko. <laughs> if you guys hadn't guessed, we're talking about LSD. <laughs> this is our our podcast episode on LSD, but we're not on LSD. But our show is on LSD. Our show is on LSD. It's tripping really hard right now. <laughs> yeah. It's almost at its peak, right? It's, it's about to get there. Nice. <laughs> Actually, I think this is like, you know, the, the cool, like, a... When like the colors start changing, you're getting like the, the visual stuff. And you can't stop giggling. <laughs> like you're starting to feel giddy. Yeah. 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 So we're talking about LSD. I wish I was on LSD right now. Uh, and Jonah. Yeah. Do you have any idea where LSD came from? Our government. Totally. Yeah, they were they <laughs> drug the water. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah. That's how the t- they turned the frogs gay. <laughs> exactly. It's a conspiracy with the aliens and the homosexuals and what they're doing to our soil. Okay. Yes. The government. Okay. Wow. I was very excited for this show, if you haven't noticed. Maybe we are on acid. Did you spike the water, Joe? I told you I did. All right. So. We're serious. Yes, so, serious face on. We have microphones. We have microphones. Uh, so, back to LSD. LSD. So, the modern idea of LSD really comes from its rise in the 1960s as the preferred drug of the hippies and the counterculture. It was popularized by musicians, artists, and authors. So, LSD emerged as kind of this uh, rebellious wonder drug, right? But its story began long before Timothy Leary uttered those, that notorious phrase, turn on, tune in, and drop out. So let's go pretty far back. So as far back as the birth of agriculture in the Fertile Crescent, Mesopotamian farmers observed the growth of a strange fungus on their rye crops. Magic mushrooms. My favorite. It is It is kind of a magic mushroom, like although peyote? like a creepy looking, gross looking weird tasting everything in nature is like creepy gross and because if it's beautiful then it's dangerous and it'll probably just kill you so like that's me <laughs> <laughs> i'm a warning <laughs> warning yes <sir. laughs> neon warning sign <laughs> there's a cross through her watch out it's on my stomach <laughs> you gotta look for that cross on my stomach <laughs> you better watch <laughs> so this strange fungus was the ergot fungus or claviceps purpurea uh the fungus claviceps purpurea sorry just shows <laughs> one <laughs> claviceps purpurea claviceps. um so claviceps. the fungus replaces the kernel with a fungal body called a sclerotium not a scrotum <laughs> I knew you were going to go there. <laughs> so when the fungus is consumed or ingested, it can result in uh, a disease called ergotism, which is ergot poisoning. Mm-hmm. That sounds fun. Oh, it's not. No. So, you don't trip? Well, you kind of trip, but it's real, It's like the worst trip you can possibly take. Oh, man. So epidemics of ergotism spread sprang up sporadically throughout history. Most notably, the Middle Ages saw an abundance of outbreaks, especially during famines, because beforehand, they, you know, on those rye stalks, they would, you know, take out all those infected parts. But when, you know, you're starving, you don't care what you're eating. You're kind of leaving whatever weird looking growth thing is on there because you're hungry. It's protein. It's protein. Um, And during this period, ergotism was called St. Anthony's Fire. 
which is kind of badass sounding. Yeah, it really does sound pretty <laughs> badass. Like that's like some weed I'd smoke, you know. St. Anthony's fire. <laughs> yeah. Like, have you tried that new St. Anthony's fire? That shit is lit. <laughs> Makes you hallucinating shit. <laughs> Um, yeah, so sufferers experienced convulsions, muscle spasms, vomiting, hallucinations, <laughs> and a gangrenous pain that caused the limbs and nose to be eaten up by the holy fire, the blackened like coal. That sounds like the best part. Like your fingers slowly <laughs> rotting away. Yeah. <laughs> it's like zombie LSD. Sounds like, like, uh, like the reverse effects of like uh frostbite or something well yeah it's like slow frostbite Ooh. like whoa like fire frost i don't know yeah, <laughs> yeah. firebite so, firebite <laughs> saint anthony's firebite <laughs> okay that's the like the strain that's mixed with another strain oh uh, see. there you go all right wait we ain't on thc we're on lsd see, yeah, <laughs> yeah <laughs> my bad like that's a different episode <laughs> so there's even paintings of like people suffering from from these outbreaks oh. where, you know, the victims are missing multiple limbs or, you know, there's like the, the fire consuming their hands and feet just kind of metaphorically. Um, obviously, since it caused hallucinations, there's this one like pretty famous painting where it's like St. Anthony, who was like a person like saint of like sufferers or something like that. Um, but like all around him are like these weird, almost like Dolly-esque figures and this is from like the 1600s and then in the sky there's like these weird vehicles flying across the sky and like it's so crazy like that's you know something that like a a fevered mind is going to to see um so yeah someone tripping hard Mm -hmm. another another noteworthy thing about ergotism is that you know even outbreaks of of witchcraft can are attributable to to this disease you know, some victims of witchery in, Euro- in European witch hunts and later on in Salem showed symptoms of ergotism. So, like, the convulsions, like, the, you so know, So, I have, things. like, witchcraft-like yeah. type skills if I get ergotism. So, it's literally magic mushroom. Oh, nice. <laughs> That's where the magic comes in. Alakazam. <laughs> yes. <laughs> He's a witch. Burn the witch. <laughs> so... Uh, but you know with that there's a lot of other factors involved that you know we're not the witch podcast although that'd be a good one it would be <laughs> that's would there be any like science to it or is it just all like history and it's weird little we're fucked gonna up perform rituals and summon the devil yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> that's <laughs> i'm done with that <laughs> um so then in um uh, 1582, a German doctor discovered, we love those Germans, Mm -hmm. a German doctor discovered that ergot could be used to induce uterine contractions during childbirth. So that's to like kind of induce childbirth. So like the uterus contracts and pushes out the baby. All righty. (laughs) The use of ergot by midwives midwives and doctors during labor continued until 1822. So... It it quickly ended labor, so it was like causing you know because sometimes it can take hours and hours for oh, yeah. you know childbirth, yeah. so it could end labor within a matter of hours, as little as three hours. Ouch! But ergot also had the really high risk of causing stillbirths, and you know the mother could die after giving birth. Those, right, those really high risks. Stay away from that. Then. Yeah, yeah. Um, and there was like other less severe side effects, kind of like what we talked about before. So eventually it was kind of discontinued for that. So 
Jonah. Okay. Why are we talking about Urgot? Because it makes you trip hard. Yeah. It's probably got some kind of a great chemical um, mm-hmm. compound mm-hmm. in it that we took from it and made LSD and so we can all trip. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I can't wait. <laughs> so Urgot is a treasure trove of valuable pharmaceuticals. Woohoo! I yeah. love pharmaceuticals. <laughs> some of them. <laughs> so scientists in the late 1800s saw the opportunity to derive these chemicals from the ergot fungus and then use them in medicine because you know 1800s medicine let's oh this shit makes you puke and like your fingers brought away let's it's medicine oh yeah <laughs> that's the evil leaving your body yeah it's the evil that's, that's what that medicine did yeah, you know like, like, all the ghosts are everything's okay you know? <laughs> now go do more cocaine yes <laughs> Um, but really, the transition from a pesky plant fungus to a mind-altering drug began with two Alberts. I know a bunch of Alberts. Hey, I know two Alberts. I know. Oh, no, I know two Alberts, too. Mm, all right. <laughs> well, let me introduce you to another two Alberts. All right. So, you can't have enough Alberts, you know that? Alberts are pretty great. Yeah, they are. Yeah. yeah. So, in 19... 19- well... <laughs> <laughs> So, in 1917, Swiss biochemist Albert Stoll uh, isolated the compound from ergot called ergotamine while working at the pharmaceutical company Sandoz, located in Basel, Switzerland. So, he's Swiss. Right. Call him the army knife. And then we got cheese there. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> LSD and cheese. Oh. Yeah. Chocolate. Swiss chocolate's oh, yeah. good. Army knives, like, gear. Take the LSD, dip it on the chocolate, then eat it. Mm, when, chocolatey trip. And you can trip. cut your cheese with the army knife. All right. And you can carry all that in like your, your Swiss gear backpack. Oh, see? You got, we got it. We're Thank ready you, for Swiss. the Swiss. <laughs> <laughs> so, ergotamine was marketed as uh, gynergen. Gynergen? Giner. Yeah, gynergen will do that for, okay. <laughs> for the prevention of postpartum hemorrhage. So that's to keep women from bleeding out after giving birth. But, you know, in the following years, very little research was done into other ergot compounds. And that's until the 1930s. So then in 1927, a young chemist joined Albert Stoll's lab. And this was Albert Hoffman. The Hoff. All right. <laughs> So, and the legend of the two Alberts begins. Yes. So, born in 1906 to working-class parents, Hoffman worked his way through school, eventually earning a PhD in chemistry for his work with the animal compound chitin. And chitin, 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 whatever. <laughs> that's, <laughs> it, I, that's like a cute-sounding name for mm-hmm. what insect exoskeleton is made out of. Okay. Chitin. Chitin. Mm-hmm. I feel like it's like my little chitin. <laughs> so Stoll encouraged Hoffman to continue the research into the medical uses of ergot compounds. So through the mid and late 30s, Hoffman worked on creating new chemicals derived from the ergot compound, lysergic acid. Mm, we're getting closer. Yeah. Vietnam, here we go. <laughs> Just need to attach a couple of meads. Um, so then on November 16th, 1938, Hoffman synthesized the 25th derivative in the lysergic acid series lysergic acid diethylamide lsd 25 all right 
Boom, boom, boom. Sounds cooler with the number at the end yeah, of it too, 25. you know. Like what? Like it gives it a little bit more meaning. It's like yeah. it took 25 tries before he got this compound. So he was actually hoping to find something that would stimulate circulation and respiration, maybe something that would help with migraines. So kind of like a useful drug, right? Okay. Um, something but, that he could sell. Yeah, something that you know a pharmaceutical company mm-hmm. could sell. But tests on animal models didn't yield any promising results, so LSD-25 was shelved. Which I would think at this point, if they were dosing animals with LSD, they might see something and be like, oh, that's kind of weird. But I guess maybe they're just looking for the elevated, you know you know, circulation or whatever they were looking for specifically. So I've never seen an animal on LSD. Like maybe they're just tripping so hard that I just kind of like sit there. I don't know. Yeah. They, okay. Hmm. I hope to never see an animal on LSD. <laughs> I know. Huh? That'd be hella messed up. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, he's kind of like puts LSD 25 away. You know, there's nothing really useful for it. I mean, hate Nashberry isn't around right now. Yeah, so. not quite yet. We're still a couple decades. Yeah, from, so you from might that as well scene. put that on the shelf for later. Well, we'll save that. Yeah, there's stuff coming up for you, buddy. So let's fast forward to 1943. All right. Yeah. We're time Get that trumpet here. out. <laughs> or bugle. <laughs> the bugle. Oh yeah, it's Mid World War too, but he's in Switzerland, so he's he's neutral. He's neutral. Yeah. <laughs> he's he's tripping. <laughs> he's tripping. <laughs> he's like you know. Let's like, uh, cool over here. let's make love, not war. Yeah, <laughs> here. peace and love. Put this on your tongue, baby. <laughs> well, so it's 1943, and Hoffman is still working on that ergot project. Whether it was by mere chance or fate, Hoffman actually decided to take another look at that number 25 compound that he had worked on five years ago. So, on April 16th, 1943. As Hoffman was synthesizing a new batch of LSD-25, he began to feel strange. That's that um, that tickliness, that anxiety mm-hmm. just before you start tripping. Like, mm, this like is something's weird. not right. Yeah, like my body's know. off. So he thought that he was kind of coming down with a cold, right? And this is like a Friday afternoon. So he stopped what he was working on and he just went home early. So he describes feeling, quote... Affected by a remarkable restlessness combined with a slight dizziness. So like you said, like that right before it Mm -hmm. starts coming on. So when he got home, he laid down and, quote, sank into a not unpleasant, intoxicated-like condition, characterized by an extremely stimulated imagination. In a dreamlike state, he, quote, perceived an uninterrupted stream of fantastic pictures, extraordinary shapes with intense kaleidoscopic play of colors. So for him, the effects lasted for about two hours. And of course, Hoffman, you know, being a scientist, immediately thought back to that to the compound he was working with. Because at the time, they're not wearing gloves, right? So he assumed that he must have gotten some on his hand or finger and absorbed it that way. But it's more likely that he did get it on his hand and then, like, touched his his face, lips, or, you know, some other orifice. <laughs> <laughs> because you can't absorb Yeah, we it. know what orifice he was <laughs> touching. <laughs> he was using LSD as, like, lube. <laughs> <laughs> but you, you can't... To feel fresh down there, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Like, okay, so... 
<clears throat> here's where I'm going to have to uh, put a wrench in the story. I've always heard you could trip on it from skin contact. It, no, it doesn't absorb through the skin. Okay. Yeah, it's See, not uh, that soluble. So I will not use any names in the story to protect the innocent, but we were out in Santa Cruz one time. And uh, we ran into a guy with a vodka bottle that had quite amount, a uh, large amount of uh, liquid acid in it. Mm-hmm. And it was my birthday, and they were, were going to buy some for me and oh, everybody and you know, stuff. And uh, a buddy and me decided not to do it that night. We just weren't really in the mood. And while everyone else was getting their doses together, the man spilt the a large portion on accident down a young lady's arm. Mm-hmm. And everyone tripped hard that night, but everyone was licking it off her arm, including her. And oh, uh, that's how it got. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But yeah. I've always wondered, like, maybe if they were tripping so hard because it sunk into, because they were grabbing her arm and, you know, like, sunk into their skin and they were licking it and stuff like that. So. No, it's it's from, like, the oral consumption. Okay. Yeah, it's, it's, like, not strong enough to, like, soak through your skin. Interesting. Okay, yeah. then. Yeah, because I've... I've always yeah, wanted thought, to do I it so that it was a thing too that it soaked through your skin, but it's interesting. Yeah, yeah. I've only taken it orally, and um, mm-hmm. I've always wanted to try it. Uh, that's right, you heard it here. I've taken it orally. <laughs> no, but um, I, uh, I've always wanted to try it through the eye, you know, eye jobs. But oh it's just God. so fucking scary. I heard it's yeah. like instant trip. Like, mm-hmm. but when it burn. I imagine it would. Imagine I haven't always too scared to try it. Like mm-hmm. imagine you go blind or something, you know, like damn. Um, but <laughs> people have said they've done it and it's like an instant trip. Hey, if um, any of the listeners have done it through their eye, let us know. Yeah. Let us know what happens if you put LSD in your eye. <laughs> I would love to hear about it. I mean, Hoffman put it. <laughs> never mind. He put it up his butt. <laughs> his orifice. His orifice. <laughs> yes. <laughs> So, yeah, so he accidentally dosed himself with LSD, a very small accidentally, amount. Accidentally, yeah. Well, this that time it was accidentally. Oh, okay. So then, like any curious scientist or, you know, a college kid, Hoffman decided to experiment. So remember, this was Friday when he accidentally dosed himself. Then on Monday, April 19th, 1943, at... 4.20 p.m. Wait, wait, wait. I thought this was on LSD, not this THC LSD. and CBD. This, hap- this this happened at 4.20 420. p.m. 4.20. In his notes, because he started writing notes when he was doing this. Oh, and it's, they start at 4.20. All right. On April 19th, but we'll count it. <laughs> yeah, you know what he was thinking. <laughs> He's like, this is where I'm going I'm to start this here. Um, so Hoffman dissolved 250 milligrams of LSD. What to him was a really minimal amount of the substance. So it's just a couple of, basically like a couple of grains of like salt or sugar um, in a glass of water and he drank it. And then he began recording his experience in a lab notebook. So by 4.50 p.m., so that's about half an hour in, he was not feeling anything. So he's, at that point, he's that guy. He's like, I don't feel it. Yeah. He's badass at that point, you know, yeah. like, it doesn't have any effect well, on me. not doing anything. And, like, 250 milligrams, that's a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it is. So, by 5 p.m., he was feeling dizzy and giddy with some visual disturbances. hmm A few minutes later, he was 
fucking totally tripping his tripping, balls. Man. <laughs> yeah. So he he asked one of his lab assistants to call the doctor because that's at that point he's like he doesn't know what's going on because this is the first acid trip. No. And he wants this this his lab assistant to call the doctor and then like accompany him home. So at this time it is the war, so they ride bicycles everywhere. Okay. So, on the bicycle ride home, Hoffman began feeling the full effects of the drug. So, he's on his bicycle and he's tripping so hard. So, to quote him, he says, On the way home, my condition began to assume threatening forms. Everything in my field of vision wavered and was distorted as if seen in a curved mirror. I also had the sensation of being unable to move from the spot. Nevertheless, my assistant later told me that we had traveled very rapidly. Finally, we arrived at home safe and sound, and I was just barely capable of asking my companion to summon our family doctor and request milk from the neighbors. So by the time he gets home, he's he's like... He's coming too, kind of. He's coming too. Okay, so he had a good bike oh, ride, yeah. a good trip. So when the, when the doctor arrived, he could find nothing wrong with Hoffman. Because, I mean, there's really nothing visual, like, visibly happening, except he had... Really extremely dilated pupils because he's high as fuck. So in spite of seeming physically healthy, Hoffman was having a bad trip. He couldn't remain standing and he had to lay down. As he described it, quote, Everything in the room spun around and the familiar objects and pieces of furniture assumed grotesque, threatening forms. They were in continuous motion, animated as if driven by an inner restlessness. The lady next door, whom I scarcely recognized, brought me milk in the course of the evening. I drank more than two liters. She was no longer Mrs. R, but rather a malevolent, insidious witch with a colored mask. <laughs> Man, he was on a good one. <laughs> yes, he was. Um, so Hoffman further describes feeling as if he was going to die. Like he starts, when you read his account of this, he starts talking about like how he he's like is this what death feels like am i going to die he also like thinks of like his wife and like his kids because like she she was away i believe with her parents and i mean this is kind of like a young couple right and she was away with her parents and then he's like thinking oh shit they're gonna call her and then she's gonna get here and i'm gonna die and then what are they gonna do and i did this to myself because i'm so stupid um yeah, so he felt kind of guilty for doing all these, like, foolish things, for experimenting so foolishly on himself. But eventually the trip went from a terrifying near-death experience to a pleasant and reassuring one. So he, it's gradually, like, like once the doctor is there, he, like, he tells him, like, there's nothing wrong with you. You're not dying. You know, you just kind of need to relax. And then he starts calming down. Yeah. Once you get control of your emotions, mm -hmm. it's pretty fun stuff. Yeah. You know? So, um, plus, your mind wanders a lot. Mm -hmm. So even if, like, say you start out on a bad trip, mm -hmm. you can always turn it around. As of, say, like on mushrooms, you have a bad trip, you're probably just going to finish with a bad trip. <laughs> you know? Like you can you can be coached and turn it around and stuff mm -hmm. like that because your mind wanders a lot. Oh. Yeah, so that's kind of what happened to him. Like, he started off badly, and that's probably because he had no idea what was going to happen. Oh, of course. Especially since, like, the first time that he accidentally dosed himself, it wasn't that bad. Like, he wasn't seeing, like, his neighbor as a <laughs> witch or, um, or like, the, the trip wasn't as intense. 
And he, he didn't think that he was taking that much. So this was the first intentional LSD trip in history. And decades later, this event, like this day, would be commemorated as Bicycle Day by LSD enthusiasts. So I believe they celebrated April 16th instead of April 19th. But it's Bicycle Day. Woohoo! <laughs> so people, get on your bike and you know what to do. <laughs> so uh, Hoffman actually did realize the potential that this drug had, especially since it was... Uh, since it was psychoactive at such low doses. Because, again, he's taking a couple of grains of, you know, salt. Like, that's the amount that he's taking, and it's still producing these crazy effects. So Hoffman sent his report to Stoll, uh, to Albert Stoll, and the director of the pharmacological department, Professor Rothlin. And at first, they, they were really incredulous and questioned if he had made a mistake in weighing the amount. They're like, how is it so? How is it effective at this low dose and producing these effects? And you know how you found out? How you find out if it? If you know if your employee is telling the truth about this drug? You try it. You do it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so soon, Rob. I like the way they thought back then. You know, they're like, well, man, let's something about those it. dark ages. You know, <laughs> let's just try it. Let's just try it. You know, hey, it's it's the early 1900s. Let's you know. Let's try drugs. It's fun. Hey, it's cool. Be young. It's medicine. It's a medicine. <laughs> Give your kid like, cocaine. Like, damn, cocaine's outlawed. What can we do next? <laughs> oh, they had something ready. Our government always <laughs> yeah. did. <laughs> so soon, Rothlin and two other colleagues repeated Hoffman's self-experiment. And that's where the story of LSD kind of begins. Ooh. And this is where we're going to take a, a quick sponsor break. Because we need the money so we can buy loads of LSD. Yeah, we need a trip. To self-experiment for science. <laughs> We're doing it for science and for like Hoffman and and for your sake. For your sake. <laughs> Give us money for drugs for your sake. <laughs> no. <laughs> not really. We do not. <laughs> that is not a threat, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> Light Your Bunsen Burner does not endorse the use of drugs for any purposes. Unless Except medicinal. For, yes. <laughs> All right, and we're back. And we just talked about how Albert Hoffman did the first LSD trip in history. So Hoffman had inadvertently stumbled upon one of the most potent hallucinogenic drugs. So how does LSD work? So LSD is typically produced in a titrate salt from a form which is colorless, odorless, and it's water-soluble. Mm. Mm -hmm. Spikeable. Spikeable, and that'll come up. <laughs> so it belongs to a family of indole achil achil oh, fuck. I, I studied this stuff. It belongs to a family of indole achilomedes that indu uh, that includes numerous substituted tr tryptamines such as psilocin and DMT. So psilocin is like the active form of psilocybin. 
Okay. So it's psilocybin you ingest, and then it gets broken down into psilocin, and that's what causes you know the trip. Okay. Um, so obviously DMT yeah. is also another famous hallucinogen. Um, so and indoles are really cool because they're like this ring structure, ring compound, com- compound. I can't speak. <laughs> is that LSD? <laughs> is that LSD? God damn. That DMT. And now we're throwing some psilocybin and DMT into this mix. Man, you're tripping hard over here. Because <laughs> you're all squatted in the corner. Because <laughs> I can't stand. No. It's too hard. <laughs> That's that dizziness and that, that giddiness she's feeling right there. <laughs> My brain is heavy. <laughs> so LSD works by, well... They don't really know exactly how LSD really works. Oh, I know how it works. You put that shit on your tongue. <laughs> <laughs> oh, they know how to get it inside you. They don't know what it does and when it's inside enjoy you. the ride. <laughs> and then just kind of lay back and chill out. Um, yeah, because but there hasn't been as much research as there could have been because it's illegal. Um, so what they think is that it works by activating, uh, serotonin receptors. So they think it kind of works like serotonin Okay. and like serotonin, you know, it, uh, regulates like your mood, your appetite, like your, your sex drive, even Um, that would be, would explain why a person would be so uh, sporadic in there mm -hmm, and everything mm -hmm. you just mentioned while they're on it. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Interesting. So Specifically, what they think it's working on is FHT2A receptors, which are serotonin receptors. So the interactions between the receptor activation and cognitive impairment, and so like inducing hallucinations or like visual impairments, those are still not well understood. It does kind of affect how your retina sees light um, or like processes light. Um, Those would be all the shadows and mm -hmm, colors and visuals. Yeah. Or maybe it's the spirit world trying to get in contact with you. It's breaking down the veil, man. Man. <laughs> you don't know, man. You, you got to. I took the LSD trip and it said, like, God spoke to me, dude. He said, stand up for what's right. <laughs> man. <laughs> so. And this, this one you can attest to, Jonah. The All effects right. of LSD begin within an within an hour or half an hour uh, mm-hmm. and can last up to 12 hours. And that's the thing about LSD right there. It lasts so long. Ew. And who's got six hours to trip? Yeah. You know, like I'm so that's busy like these days. That's, yeah. That's like such a whole day event. Plus know? like when you think you're done, you're really not, <laughs> you know, you think so you're close. done, it gives you a break and then there's that drip again. And like, woo, <laughs> next hour and a half, you know, <laughs> So, so these effects are primarily visual, consisting of brighter colors and lights. Oh, yeah, the fun stuff. <laughs> the fun, like, I mean, ooh, shiny. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, stationary objects may appear in motion or larger or smaller than they truly are. So, there's like distortion in like your, your visuals. Uh, patterns, shapes, and textures become more prominent. And on rare occasions, synesthesia can occur. So, synesthesia is like. Like something like tasting sound. Oh, okay, yeah. yeah like yeah. getting your senses mixed up. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Um, yeah, so it's like, like experiencing- the snozberries taste like snozberries, <laughs> <laughs> and the white tastes like white. <laughs> like the white sounds like onion. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so yeah, it's like experiencing a sense by way of another. So like seeing sound, right? Oh, okay. 
and that's rare, but it has been documented. Um, so a feeling of euphoria can, can accompany the trip. So, you know, heightened emotions are common. So like, you're going to feel like joy or, you know, fear, and that's going to be amplified. Oh yeah. <clears throat> so other physical effects include dilated pupils, elevated blood pressure and increased body temperature. So you may begin to kind of sweat too. Um, you may also experience blurred vision, drowsiness, tingling in the extremities and dizziness. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so now logic and reasoning may be impaired while on LSD, which is why, you know, sometimes uh, people on LSD may seem a little quirky or like not making the best choices, mm -hmm. saying funny things. Um, these are just some of the common effects of LSD through trips. Trips can vary from person to person. Oh, yeah. And based on like the quality of LSD that you're taking. And how much. And how much. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah so, so one of the most infamous effects of LSD are hallucinations, right? Oh, yeah. However, it, it's kind of a misnomer to call them hallucinations. Because when a person hallucinates, everything they experience, see, smell, etc., seems completely real. So it'd be, you know, like, if you were my hallucination, Jonah, you seem completely real to me. And, like, there's, very, there's not anything distinguishing you from, you know, reality. Except for someone right there telling you it's not real. Yeah. <laughs> um, LSD, on the other hand, just changes the way a person perceives the world around them. So mm -hmm. for the most part, when you're under the influence of LSD, people are, are aware that their altered perception is caused by the drug. Um, in other words, they're, they're not really seeing what isn't there. Exactly. Yes. Mm -hmm. yeah. I completely agree. Like, I don't know mm -hmm. if there's any of like your personal experience where, you know, that's yeah. different. Like, have you always known that you were like tripping? Like, yes. It was all, like, part exactly. Of yeah. Like, um, you you will slide into these i guess the best way to call them is trips mm -hmm. and it's like you kind of don't have control at that point okay and you're just tripping mm -hmm. um but when you slide out of it you know you're still tripping but you know why and you remember mm -hmm. everything going on and stuff like that um i remember taking some of some buddies of mine mm -hmm. and going down to the local pub where a friend of mine was working that night and um she gave us some beers and we needed to pay for them. Mm -hmm. And we're like, Oh my God, we got to pay for these beers. I can't believe it. This is going to be so crazy. And like <laughs> my friend's like, okay, I'm going to go do it. And he walked over there and he paid for the beers and came back. And me and another friend of mine were looking at each other. Like, I can't believe he just did that. He's so crazy, man. What a daredevil. And we were just, and it was such a big deal because we, we thought, oh, that just that little walk to the bar and back, everybody's going to know that we're on acid, you know, and um, just stupid shit like that, you know. Mm -hmm. um, but but we knew. That's why yeah. it was such a big deal is because we knew. And yeah. there's been times where, like, I've been in cars on it, and I've just kind of slipped out of it, out of consciousness, I guess. Mm -hmm. And I see everything as just this badass cartoon. Okay. Um. But then once you grasp, like, I guess, control again, you just, you just know, oh okay. yeah, I'm tripping. You yeah. Know? So that's because like depictions and like movies and like TV and stuff like that, they show it like you are in a cartoon world or something. Yeah. But kind of like what you're saying, it's not like, like it's in your mind, not in. The well, it's in your mind, but it's being 
still projected in front of you. Okay. Like for example, like, when like- I was driving down the street, or when I was riding down the street, <laughs> I was not driving with on this. And everything would like, like the car driving next to me would be a cartoon car. Okay. So there really is a car right there driving next to okay, me. I just, just see like it as little- animated and okay. stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um. So you know, so I'm aware that I'm driving, I'm riding down the uh-huh. street on this drug, but I'm kind of it's it's hard to be aware, but you're still aware. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, and yeah, it's just a trip. It's, it's <laughs> a trip, that's people. A, that's why they call it yeah. a trip. Um, so, oh, the other thing that I kind of didn't want to talk about, but I guess we should, is flashbacks. Yes, those um, are weird. Because why I was hesitant, because as I was reading, there's, and it's so hard to like really say anything concrete because there's very limited studies because it's illegal so you can't scientists can't actually study it um but there's no real evidence that lsd stays in your system for extended periods of time like you basically like end up pissing it out within like a couple of days um and like what the notion of flashbacks was that you know LSD stays in like your your spinal fluid and then eventually like sometimes it like comes out and you get these flashbacks but one of like the veins of study is that people who are do experience flashbacks also uh have like another form of mental mental, mental illness um that could be the root cause of the flashbacks but I mean, like, I don't, I don't want to like say this for people because there's no real or like very solid or you know reproducible studies. Doctor Jonah is in the house, Don't people. <laughs> and so, yeah, Doctor Oz, move out of the way. So check this out, okay? <laughs> I've always felt this is completely just a theory. Mm-hmm. I have no concrete evidence whatsoever. Um, I know people who say they've gone through flashbacks. Okay. I felt like maybe I might've experienced once or mm-hmm. twice. Okay. Um, I've also lived through some shit where I've also have experienced PTSD okay. and uh, trips are no joke. Mm-hmm. Like it's, it's intense. Even a good trip is very intense. Mm-hmm. Um, so this could be maybe something along the lines of a PTSD. Um, yeah. not, like, and, and PTSD has a extremely bad stigma for good reasons. You know, but this could be linked with that, and it doesn't have mm-hmm. to be a bad thing. Yeah. Um. You know, I I hope, uh, depending on how strong the flashback is, if they're real or not, you're not driving a forklift or some shit mm-hmm. like that, mm-hmm. you know. But I witnessed some – or yeah, I was sitting down. We were playing a type of Mario game when we were younger, doing a lot of acid and stuff. And um, I remember someone saying there's a certain scene that always gives them flashbacks. Okay. You know, um, and – uh yeah, so maybe there was something that 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 scene triggered in their trip to mm-hmm. like a PTSD type of thing. Okay, or yeah, yeah, that, that's you know? kind of something that is brought up in some of the stuff that I was reading, where if you know, for people who have used LSD or and it had like a very prominent effect for them, if they have any form of like visual, um, you know, alteration like perception change they can just attribute that to or like related to like their previous LSD trips. Mm-hmm. It doesn't necessarily mean that it's being caused by LSD exactly. in their s- system. Yes. It's, and that's what it's a flashback would be. Triggered like, by something else. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So they're just remembering a trip yeah. because they're kind of hard to remember. Oh, you know? interesting. 
Um, not all of them, but the good ones. The good ones. <laughs> okay, so getting back to to the history of this. So we left off with you know um, Hoffman just made LSD. So one thing that was evident for scientists at Sandoz was the possible use of LSD in the psychiatric field. Um, so they started marketing their new drug as Dilucid. Di- I wanted to call it like. I'm I'm sure they're going for like dilution, yeah. But it's like delicid, and this was in 1947, and they kind of sent it out to a limited number of psychiatrists. So, what they were kind of looking is that it could be used in kind of a twofold manner. So, in the analytical setting, the psychiatrist could give LSD to their patient in order to elicit repressed material or induce a state of relaxation. So, kind of make it easier. For, like, uh, psychoanalysis. Almost like a hypnosis. Yeah, kind of. Yeah, like a drug-induced hypnosis. Mm-hmm. Make things a little bit easier. Like, put them in, like, a more like a open drug. state. Yeah. Yeah, and that'll come up. Um, or in the experimental setting, a psychiatrist could experience the semblance of psychosis by taking their drug and kind of relate more to their patient. So, kind of understand what their patient is going through. So, they're, they're really... They are telling... They're encouraging psychiatrist who take psychiatrist tripping yeah they're like you guys should i think it's more like hey you guys should try this it's <laughs> yeah. medicine but you guys should try this it's for medicine <laughs> yeah wink wink, wink wink nudge nudge <laughs> <laughs> so between 1950 and 1965 over forty thousand individuals were given lsd for psychiatric reasons these included sufferers of schizophrenia, depression, obsessive compulsive disorder, and those with quote unquote sexual perversions, like homosexuality. Mm, right? Which is whatever. I got sexual perversions. Can I get some LSD? <laughs> it's like, I think my sexual perversions would be cured with LSD. Yes. Like. Um, I'm not homosexual, <laughs> but I do have some sexual perversions. I need that LSD stat, 250 is it milligram stat. <laughs> Um, right. So then, in, so in 1949, LSD entered the U.S. market uh, as a, a model of psychosis. So they were kind of using, like, saying that it kind of induced a you know temporary psychosis, so they could study, you know, what psychosis is like in that way. So, On the U.S. market, like cocaine mm-hmm. and um, what else? Um, heroin. Heroin. Um, ether. Ether. Yes, we got Frankenstein <laughs> from that. Uh, what else? Uh, what else marijuana is- and hemp has been around for fucking ever. Yeah. They just needed a new uh, bad guy. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. like, step right up, marijuana. You're next. You're but anyways, next. we're on LSD right now. So. Sprinkle some some uh, you know racism on that mm. marijuana, and you're you know everything goes great with racism. <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, interest among the psychiatric community was perpetuated by the work of physician Sidney Cohen. So, he was one of the first guys to kind of really take on um, LSD as a medis- uh, in its medicinal uses. So, the L.A.-based physician began using LSD in his work in 1955 while working at an L.A. veterans hospital. He took the drug himself, expecting to experience a temporary psychotic state. Instead, he found, quote, no confused, disoriented delirium, but something quite different. The problems and strivings, the worries and frustrations of everyday life vanished. In their place was a majestic, sunlit, heavenly inner quietude. So he found, you know. 
He found inner peace. He found inner peace. He like reached nirvana. All right. So Cohen. Now we need to sitar. Now we need to sitar. Yeah. Anytime I do any of these quotes, we should have sitar. Yes. We need (laughs) sitar in our life. I'm going to find some sitar. You find a sitar, I'll get the LSD. And we'll party, I guess. We'll I don't party. know. Yeah. We'll play sitar on LSD on that. Anyways. <laughs> so. Cohen uh, was up some. <laughs> <laughs> Our boy Sydney. Oh, Sydney. That's right. Yeah. He, he began attempting to use LSD as a treatment for alcoholics and to improve the crea- creativity of artists. So he was helped by author Aldous Huxley and psychologist Betty Eisner. So Huxley had first tried LSD in December of 1955 and saw it as a mystical religious experience. He was also critical of his use as a model of schizophrenia. So for him, it was more of like, you know, expanding your creative side and like, Mm. yeah, so he was, he was like, Mm -hmm. so he said, quote, it will give the elixir a bad name if it continues to be associated in the public mind with schizophrenia symptoms. People will think they are going mad when in fact they are beginning when they take it to go sane. Oh, man. He had a completely opposite. <laughs> yeah, huh? so, so he's like, you know, we shouldn't be using this for, you know, psychiatry. We should be using this for, like, prayer and, you know, enlightening people. Yeah. <laughs> um, so while academics were busy seeking to heart, seeking to heart, well, also, um, Cohen, he um, did these really cool experiments where he would give people LSD. Um, and then, like, he would record their trip and, like, talk to them as they're doing it. So kind of, like, using it in, like, you know, psych- a psychiatric setting. And there's videos of it on YouTube. It's really interesting. There's one that's called, like, Housewife on LSD. And it's this, like, 50s, like, you know, woman. Um, and, you know, she's giving LSD. And then she's kind of going through the trip. And she's, you know, pretty, like, you know, like what you would think of a housewife, like, pretty modest and then like as the trip is going she's like talking nonsensically and like she's like saying all these like you know what you would think a lsd user would say and it's really interesting to watch because this was done legally (laughs) it's really cool (laughs) i definitely gotta check that out yeah because uh people on lsd are very easily coerced Mm -hmm. if i said that Mm -hmm. correctly Mm -hmm. um i've saved a few lives like that uh, entertaining people on LSD. You know, good. You're going to be okay. Just just ride this too with me and let's have fun. You it's, know. Just, it's funny that you mentioned that people could be easily coerced because you know who noticed that? Who? The U.S. government. Mm-hmm. Well, really the intelligence agency, specifically mm-hmm. the CIA, who were, tr- you know, who tried to weaponize a drug. Um, one of the most notorious programs on LSD and the subject of many, many, many conspiracy theories in the U.S. was MK Ultra. Oh, yeah. And the Illuminati. The CIA motherfuckers. MK Ultra. Sleeper agents. To bring in the Nazi connection. Oh, I knew you were going (laughs) to go there. (laughs) Actually, I didn't find out about this until like later on after I had written the script. So I found out that the CIA... Were, they were inspired to start these projects based on um, some psychological torture that the Nazis did at concentration camps. Mm, so okay. obviously, <laughs> what's what's going to go wrong? Oh yeah. Um, <laughs> so in the late, so many experiments so on many LSD. Experiments, yeah. So in the late fifties, during the height of the Cold War, the U.S. became paranoid that the Soviet, Korean, or Chinese. Uh, that the Soviets, Koreans, or Chinese were using drugs for mind control. 
So MKUltra was created to assess the possible use of LSD and other drugs for information gathering and psychological control or torture. So under the direction of CIA chemist Sidney Gottlieb, LSD was administered to both informed and unwitting participants in the no. in universities and other settings. So they were kind of like they would have like these like get-togethers where they would like drug each other, like sneak LSD into like people's drinks and then see what happens. Oh, um, a very divisive case involved the dosing and then death of what, what was called suicide of bacteriologist Frank Olson. So while working on bac- you know on biological weaponry at Fort Detrick, Frank was covertly dosed with LSD by his supervisor. So this was at a CIA retreat. Where, you know, like a bunch of like top, you know, like CIA people like got together and then like he, they dosed him with LSD and he had like a bad trip. Other experiments involved using sex workers to lure unsuspecting men to CIA safe houses where they were dosed with LSD. Agents would then watch the progression of the men's experiences through one way mirrors, often while drinking cocktails. It's like the 1950s version of Netflix and chill. Basically, they're just in there having a party. Oh, like, yeah. That's, I mean, what else was there to do in the 1950s? I mean, it kind of seems like a situation where everybody wins. Well, I mean, Maybe not, not the sex worker, but like, you know, I mean. I mean, what if you don't know what the hell is happening? <laughs> like, uh, you're, you're yeah. the guy, like being, you know, you've never done LSD before. You don't know what's going on. They're, you know, you just, you just want it, you know, to have a good night. <laughs> And suddenly you're like tripping balls. Well, I would have fun, I guess. Yeah, yeah, you, <laughs> you got a prostitute, you got some LSD, you got an audience. I mean, some cocktails in the mix. It sounds like a great <laughs> evening, honestly. Well, the, the cocktails just for the CIA. Oh, fair. <laughs> but ultimately, the CIA um, figured out that LSD was too unpredictable to use in any form um, just because it didn't have any consistent trip i guess like they they wanted it to be like a truth serum almost but they couldn't really control it isn't that just like our government i can't control it no ah, fuck it outlaw it outlaw it's it. exactly. illegal <laughs> exactly yeah um so not all experiments involved involuntary participants volunteers uh were often found among university students uh one mk ultra participant was a young ken kesey in 1959, while a student at Stanford, Kesey volunteered for an MK Ultra experiment at Menlo Park. Kesey for sheezy, my kneesy. Oh, my. Getting on that LSDZ. Oh, my God. We're stopping this podcast now. <laughs> so, later on, he would go on to uh, retell many of his, his experiences while undergoing the experiment. Because he wasn't only being given, like, LSD. He was also doing, like mescaline ketamine like a bunch of other stuff um psilocybin um whatever <laughs> this guy's just like taking it all i'm like oh like, sure. this one's good this one's no good oh trip on this one was weird <laughs> yeah you can sell this one for this much on the streets uh <laughs> this one you can blame on the black people like oh yeah my God. <laughs> he was working for the government at that point well, mr yeah, mk I mean, ultra poor college student yeah <laughs> So this experience will let, later inspire, in part, uh, his renowned novel, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Great movie. Yeah. I'm, hey, didn't... So wasn't um, um, Jack Nicholson in that movie? Yes, he was. Okay, and wasn't he also in another movie where he, like, 
did the first acid trip on film where they portrayed what someone's oh, like. Oh my God. We talked like, about it later. Um, oh really? Okay. <laughs> oh, do we? I don't know if I included, but I read about it. Yeah. Uh, it's called, um, not the trip or, um, I know what you're talking about. I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. 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 He, they try to portray the, someone's, uh, like trip, trip for the first time on film. And he uh-huh. was the star of that movie. Yep. I think it was like his breakthrough movie that made him famous. Right. Oh, um, what was it called? I wouldn't know. Oh, I was probably tripping. <laughs> no. Cause there's one called the trip, but that's like with like, um, some like more classic movie star. Okay. And then there's, I'm like, I'm seeing like the, the, like poster for it because it was like you know pretty gaudy like 1916 yeah. stuff yeah yeah um yeah so ken kesey um and then after like writing one flew over the cuckoo's nest and like becoming famous he held what were known as the acid tests in his la Honda home in the mid 60s uh and like you know the the precursor band to the grateful dead the warlocks would play there and that's kind of where you know a the big um, like LSD scene started to emerge. And then later on in the sixties, he would take his, you know, band of merry pranksters and like that converted bus on tour of the U S to propagate the use of LSD. Yeah. yeah. Through music, through music. Um, So although the drug was intended for medicinal use by 1962, there was already a black market the drug gee i wonder why Hmm. well researchers had themselves become really careless with the use of the drug even holding lsd soirees in their homes so profusion among academics eventually filtered down to the normal population of course because if you know you're having parties (laughs) lsd parties eventually like your non-psychiatrist friends are going to attend and they're going to be like oh this shit's super cool Mm -hmm. um the other thing is that LSD clinics began popping up across California, and they were char- charging up to $600 for a session. And just to remember, like, Sandals is kind of giving these this out for free so that researchers can, like, study and see what their, you know, what the effects are and, like, how it can be used. So the, Damn, what a time to be alive. Like, yeah. <laughs> um, and then there's like celebrities like Cary Grant and they start talking about their experiences with the drug while in therapy. So obviously that made like other patients like want this drug and be like, hey, you know, I heard Cary Grant say that he had LSD therapy. I want it too. Um, so, you know, they're starting to clamor for this drug from their therapists. Um, and just like that, the genie was out of the bottle. All right. Ooh. The hallucination genie. Yeah, that LSD genie is And it it was um oh, what's his name? Robin Williams genie. <laughs> no. Oh, was it him? <laughs> it was him. Oh, okay. It, it wasn't the LSD was just like you never had a friend like me. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and there's magic carpets and like tigers um so i prefer my genies like the barbara eden style really you know like there you go (laughs) yeah putting astronauts in their place you know (laughs) hey gonna make you a sandwich i'll just blink one up blink Um, lsd (laughs) so um it really took one man 
to really propel the popularity of the drug among the counterculture youth of the 1960s. Do you know who this was, Jonah? <laughs> um, I do know who this was, but I have no idea who this is. Timothy Leary? Timothy Leary. Timothy Leary. Timothy. Kids, ask your parents about Timothy Leary. Watch them get real angry. And weirded <laughs> out. Yeah. Oh, unless they were part of the counterculture. They oh, like, then. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Totally yeah. He said uh, words. He said words. <laughs> words that meant something at the time. <laughs> you youngsters don't know. We walk barefooted while we protest on LSD. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so... In the process of doing research for the show, I decided that we are going to do a full episode on Timothy Leary in the future. I can't So <laughs> there's going to be, you know, we're going to go through some of like the basic stuff that he did. If you guys, if you know, the audience is like, well, why didn't you mention this or that? It'll be coming in the future. I promise. It'll be good. Read a book. Uh, I mean, I mean, take some LSD no, and wait for No, keep listening to the podcast. Please <laughs> share it with your friends. <laughs> Listen to the podcast on LSD. Oh, man. Um, totally mad. So, Timothy Leary had a PhD from UC Berkeley, and he had been lecturing at Harvard since 1951. So, he wasn't an actual professor at Harvard, FYI. That's a misconception. He was just teaching there. So he first tried psilocybin magic mushrooms in 1960, and I believe that was in Cuernavaca, Mexico. Um, mm. Yeah, so the experience really left him so changed that he switched his focus to studying the effects of psychotropic drugs on the human brain. Um, he, along with fellow researcher Richard Alpert, began administering, administering psilocybin to volunteers and then documenting their experiences, experiences under the drug. So... But um, after complaints by Harvard staff about the safety and ethics of their project, Leary and Alpert changed their research methodologies. So they did a couple of really cool experiments. Well, if they had been done correctly, they would have been really good, cool experiments. So one of them was they um, gave psilocybin to um, like students that are going to go into like religious stuff. Oh no. Yes. Uh, on good Friday, it's known as the good Friday, um, experiment. So <laughs> they gave, uh, like ministry. Well, I don't know what it was called. Like theologians, I guess. Um, <laughs> like they're studying to be like priests yeah. and stuff like that. Yeah. There's, they're going to get deep into their religion. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. This is going to help them get deeper yeah. into their religion. So that, that was the thing that's like wanted to see if like there was an effect on the religious experience. Oh man! So they dosed these, these, these uh, people and then they took them to like a good, uh, good Friday sermon. And well, there was like a control group that didn't get anything. And then there was the guy, the people who got the psilocybin. The, some of the like the research methods were flawed, and same thing was with the Concord Prison Experiment, where they dosed um, uh, prisoners with uh, LSD, not LSD, with psilocybin, and these were prisoners that were going to be uh, paroled pretty soon. And then they were trying to see if the use of the drug would prevent, um, you know, like readmission into, like, the, if it would keep them out of prison. Okay. But again, like his research was really flawed. He omitted data. He like kind of not necessarily falsified but he kind of twisted his data to look more positive oh, than it was okay. so it was, he was delving in some unethical stuff at that point uh, um also he's just trying to get the people high yeah at, at this point like it kind of seems that way and that's why some of the staff was like 
were really concerned about the safety of the people involved that he was also forcing graduate students to do it like one of the things it was that you know he could they could um his students could either take the final or be part of the the experiment so if you're wow. a college kid just be like well well you know. yeah i'll take that experiment <laughs> yeah so he's kind of coercing yeah. people to volunteer um god i wish i went to that school no no harvard well what if you don't want to do it can you take the final go yeah. study you go know study. no big deal you know um, or trip out and have a blast yeah. the other thing is like they were <laughs> getting high at the same time they were doing the experiment so like, oh, they weren't... Yeah. yeah anyways so eventually uh um he and albert alpert were fired because they were you know promoting the recreational use of drugs of the drug among undergraduate students. So following his uh, expulsion from Harvard, Leary continued to guide people on trips. Uh, he authored books on, on experiences with mind-altering drugs, including the psychedelic experience and psychedelic prayers on other meditations. He also, there is, um, we'll talk about this in depth when we do his episode, but he also was um, at this big estate in Millbrook, New York, that was paid by like the a millionaire um, heir to the melon fortune where he was doing like the same experiments that he was doing, like getting people high and like getting them to record, you know, their experience, but also while he, he was also getting himself high. <laughs> so at this point he's really like pushed away from the scientific side of like trying to say this, this could be used. Uh, he's you just know, having a good time. Yeah. Now he's just having a good time which would be fine but he was also really outspoken and it was kind of him who kind of put a very negative light on lsd use um so in 1966 he gave a really infamous interview with playboy in which he he touted the powerful effects of lsd but he also claimed you know that women would have hundreds of orgasms while on lsd oh um, that's just going to make every lady out there want to like, go and do yeah. lsd <laughs> i don't know that 100 seems like overkill <laughs> <laughs> well, when you're tripping when you're tripping you don't know um he also said that it could be used to cure homosexuality and he also was throwing like some of his friends under the bus so he was friends you know with with uh alan ginsburg which who was another you know loud voice in like the, the beatnik era the counterculture um and he was you know gay um so he said that alan ginsburg like the first time that he was attracted to women was under lsd and you know it's kind of like really provocative stuff like that but he was just you know attention seeking at this point he was just trying to stay in his like five minutes like extend his 15 minutes of fame because he was just really pushing a lot of people under the bus and just saying whatever Man. um but later on, like specifically on like his homosexuality stance, he changed it and like, yeah. So then also in 1966, Leary was called as an expert witness during the Senate committee hearings on the dangers of LSD. And his performance was really underwhelming. Like this was like his key opportunity to like really make a stance in front of the U.S. government and say, hey, there's actual research opportunities with LSD, but he was just kind of like wishy-washy and like not really. Uh, in one exchange, when asked by Senator Ted Kennedy if LSD was dangerous, he replied, quote, Sir, the motor car is dangerous if used improperly. Human stupidity and ignorance is the only danger human beings face in the world. 
So, I mean, he's not exactly wrong, but he's not exactly right. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Like, I mean, yeah. yeah, plenty of people have done LSD and have had a great time or maybe not and live the next day. You know, it's yeah. stupidity that kills. That is true. Not saying a drug can't kill because it can, mm -hmm. but there's usually some kind of level of stupidity that yeah. has come with it. So he also proposed that LSD use users should be, you know, adults who are proper, properly trained in the use of the drug or, you know, else he did kind of predict the U.S. would be faced with another era of prohibition if it, you know, completely outlawed these drugs. Uh, but in spite of his testimony, LSD was soon banned throughout the U.S. Between 1967 and 1968, he also toured the U.S. giving lectures to college students trying to adequately present the experience of psychedelics. So he was kind of putting on a show. Um, then in 1967, he was uh, a speaker at the now famous Human Being. Human Being. <laughs> At Golden Gate be Park. Be in, people. Be in. Yeah. And that's where Leary coined the phrase, turn on, tune in, and drop out. And he spoke it in front of 30,000 hippies. Um, and this kind of really solidified him as the poster poster boy for the counterculture and drug enthusiasts and LSD. And it kind of wasn't a great face because he kind of got kooky a lot later on. Which And then he got in trouble with the law. And he's, Yeah. So he kind of became, if he had like kind of stuck through to that, like LSD can be a research tool, a psychiatric tool. We can. The we, scientific side of it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but he really pushed away from that and he went more towards like the spiritual side, mm. um, which I, I mean, it's not necessarily bad. It needs to be studied, but he got, I see it more like he went towards the party side. Yeah, he definitely went, he, put, yeah. he pushed that narrative. Mm -hmm. And he also, yeah, he got in trouble with the law. Um, he escaped from prison. Nice. <laughs> like, there's like a whole stuff that he did that really left like a bad taste in like, you know, the, the establishment's mouth, right? Okay. Um. So, in spite of LSD's popularity among students, psychiatrists, and artists, it was ultimately fated for criminalization. So, bowing to governmental pressures, Sandoz ceased shipping LSD to the U.S. in 1965. So, they stopped marketing it in the U.S. Okay. Because of its perceived corrosiveness to the standards of Western middle class... On October 1968, LSD was banned in all the states as a result of the passage of the Staggers-Dodd Bill. As of today, LSD is classified as a Schedule One drug, meaning that it's believed to uh, have a high potential for abuse. There is no safe way uh, of administering it under medical supervision and no medicinal value whatsoever. It's a felony, people. Yep. Possession of any amount of LSD is a felony. And depending on the amount, uh, can result in a prison sentence of up to 40 years. Attempted manslaughter. Yep. Like something like cocaine is a Schedule II drug. So it's... Um, Use you your schedule face... to do it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you could face lower penalties. Okay. If you have cocaine than you would for having LSD, which is... Mm mind-boggling because lsd is a non-addictive as a classic, as, yeah i'm sorry yeah as a classic hallucinogen it doesn't form 
the same like um, addiction pathway in the brain that you know something like cocaine would because it's so unpredictable and there's like not that um, reliability to the high. Plus, cocaine's so fucking expensive and like, you know, um, yeah, and LSD is like so hard to get. Cocaine's easy to get, mm-hmm. you know. Well, <laughs> <laughs> you got now. You guys know, <laughs> <laughs> kids. Cocaine is easy to get. Please don't do cocaine. No, it's bad for you. It's stupid. It is the stupidest drug. As much mm-hmm. fun as you can have on it while doing it correctly, um, it is one of the dumbest drugs out there. And just a quick note on that, also. Under a schedule one, so marijuana is also a schedule one. It's yeah, drug policy in this country is kind of it's stupid, yeah, it really is. It's uh, it was all generated to keep um, people, um, what's it called, separated, just like Mm -hmm. racism and Democrats and Republicans and rich and poor. Um, and um, yeah, it's and it's based off of revenue, yeah, that's very true. Right, so, um, although the use of LSD peaked in the 1960s, it sharply fell following uh, its criminalization. Brief spikes in uh, in its use occurred in the 1980s and 90s. Uh, The 2017 National Household Survey on Drug Use and Health found that 1.8 million Americans, age 12 and older, were users of hallucinogens. That doesn't mean just LSD, just hallucinogens in general. Yeah, salvia. Yeah. That's an interesting one. Yeah. And that was in 2016. That's so, about the time I was doing salvia. Huh? That was about the time I was doing salvia. Oh, good for you. Yes, thank you. <laughs> so uh, most of the users were within the ages of 18 to 25. Now, currently, the there has been a renewed interest in using LSD. The practice known as microdosing has been popularized, particularly in the Bay Area of California. So Silicon Valley types, so like techie people, will take small doses like 10 milligrams in order to spark creativity and sharpen focus without the lengthy effects of a full-blown trip, right? Like I said, who's got six hours to trip? Yeah, you You just need like a quick like, ooh. Give me two hours and be on my way. (laughs) So... That's kind of the story of LSD. So from that faithful bicycle ride to, you know, techies taking LSD and, you know, in the Bay Area, LSD has really taken a drastic turn in its history. Um, So even though Albert Hoffman saw its potential as a medicinal drug, he never, ever envisioned its recreational use. He refers to it or has referred to it as his problem child. Um, He believed that its effects were too severe for anyone to even want to experience them for pleasure. Um, mm, drugs are bad and gay. That's yeah. what that means. But he's still doing it. <laughs> However, its popularization in the 1960s by musicians like The Beatles, authors like Allen Ginsberg and Ken Kesey, and psychiatrists like Timothy Leary strengthened LSD's hold on the cultural psyche. So there it is. That's kind of the story of LSD condensed in a little tab for you guys. <laughs> <laughs> So, All nice and squared and just ready to go yeah. on your time. Or do you guys want some little, you know, a little square gelatin tab or, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, paper? Sugar. Sugar, sugar works sugar. very okay. good. Gummy bear? Um, oh, yeah. That's a good one. <laughs> okay, um, or just gelatin. a straight liquid. Yeah. Put it yeah. in your eye. <laughs> yeah. Tell me tell me what happens. I was too scared to try. I did my tongue only. <laughs> so, so, Jonah, do you have anything to add? 
Uh, do I, have, I wish I had some LSD right now. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> expand my mind and yeah, tell you what I really have to add. That third eye expanding. <laughs> the third eye. Huh? <laughs> Make it like hey, I don't swing five. that way. <laughs> Plus, I take LSD. <laughs> Your orifice expanding. <clears throat> you know, what? I think you pretty much covered it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well. So we want to thank everyone for listening again. If you like the show, you can go to Apple Podcasts and give us a rate and review. If you want to be even more amazing, like LSD amazing, you can mm. actually donate to the show by going to anchor.fm slash Pod and clicking the support this podcast button. Give us money for drugs. <laughs> so Drugs are money. Yeah, money are or drugs. More. So if you drugs, want- money's my favorite drug. Hey. I'm addicted to money. It's kind of the worst drug, too. Yeah. Super addictive. I have super bad withdrawals when I don't have money. I know, me too. <laughs> <laughs> like, I can't do anything. You don't want us to have withdrawals, do you, people? <laughs> yeah. Um, but if you do want to share your opinions on this episode, tell us about your own LSD trip, about when you used it on your eyeball or any other experience you've had, or if you want to suggest future episodes, you can drop us a line at our email, bunsenburnerpod at gmail.com. You can find us on the internet at our website, bunsenburnerpod.com. And we're also on Twitter at bunsenburner19 and on Instagram at bunsenburnerpod. Um, if you want to find me, you can find me at Gachos and Tiaras on Twitter and Instagram. And then just, you know, search my name on Facebook. You'll find me. Jonah, do you want to tell people where they can find you? If you want to find me out fear and loathing in Las Vegas, um, <laughs> you can type in Jonah Baker at Facebook. Or I have an email address, bakerbase at yahoo.com. B-A-K-R-B-A-S-S at yahoo.com. I love it all. So tell me it all. And as always, I want to thank John Oddway for letting us use his song Bunsen Burner as a theme to our show. Go listen to his music. I'm sure it sounds amazing when you're really tripping hard on acid. Yeah, I wonder so, if he's ever had LSD. Hmm, I'll, I'll shoot him an email. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so just, yeah. So thanks again for joining us, guys. Next week, we're going to be talking about something. <laughs> Are, is, is it like more drugs? <laughs> No, I no. think we might be going back to the tragic stuff. Ah, uh, the Nazi suicide shit. Not the kind of shit I'm going to have to be on drugs to get through. Exactly. <laughs> okay, there you go. There you go. <laughs> Everyone, do drugs and put on a happy face. Yep. Bye. Bye. <laughs>